1: Hello strangers and welcome to the latest episode of strangers in a cinema. I'm with one of your co-hosts Paul Anderson here with co-host Pete Wall. Pete how are you this week sir? It's happy
0: birthday by the way for the other day. Oh thank you very much. I'm not going to do that thing that people do where they sort of bemoan the fact that they're getting older and talk about the age that they are and how much closer to death they are now or whatever uh, because I'm actually feeling pretty good and part of the reason for that is obviously because we're doing a film show and that's going to be pretty good fun I reckon for about the next hour. Now now, about my birthday, you know, uh, it's one thing managing to get a year older and getting some sort of credit for that. I think you, though, deserve the credit this week for the fact that it seems like you've become some sort of like super fit version of your former self. And as I told you before we came on, I've been talking to you mostly over the last few weeks and seeing your head and shoulders, which has deprived me of the vision <laughs> that is now your Adonis like figure. I've, Paul, l- I've what dropped, has been going on? I've dropped what some has been weight because I saw a photo fo- saw a <laughs> photo on Instagram yesterday which which well, I've dropped some me weight away. Pete I'll, I'll
1: be honest I'm I'm, I'm a way off an Adonis like figure though I do appreciate appreciate the compliment but yes I've dropped uh, I've dropped a noticeable amount of weight and uh, I aim to keep at it so uh, I've been going from I got off my bike and I went straight into the gym and I've been going to the gym uh, for quite a number of a number of weeks now, and I seem to be keeping it up, so it's good. It's all good. Uh, I've given myself a makeover. I've bought myself some nice shoes, and I can fit into a nice jacket that I bought years ago, and
0: everyone thinks it's a new jacket. So it's all good. <laughs> so, so Paul Anderson, when you're not producing films, you're producing results in the gym. That's what you're all about. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, just about. I'm just all about <laughs> Both games sides of now. this show. We've always games. been about games. <laughs> um, so, talking games. Uh, here's a tenuous <laughs> link. We seem to be gaining new followers and new listeners, more importantly, to the show, which is massively appreciated. So, if you are new on board, welcome to our show. Thanks for coming along. And please tell your friends. Share it about and let people know that we're doing our very best to produce a show that people like. Um, to that end, Paul, we've got a load of stuff coming up on this week's show. At the centre of it, we're going to do two feature reviews this week, a double header. We've got both the new Ken Loach movie, movie, uh, Sorry We Missed You and uh, we've also got Netflix sort of behemoth historical epic The King coming up but before that we always do a few other sections of the show first. We've got Coming Attractions where we're going to preview this week's new releases. Uh, Before that we've got Popcorn Movies in which we'll talk about the films that we've seen over the last week and before all of that and right here and now we have in the foyer we we talk about film news from the last seven days. And there's really only one story, isn't there, Paul, this week that's worthy of our (laughs) discussion? Well, yes, I I would
1: say so. Um, It's certainly worthy of discussion. Whether it would be worth seeing or not is quite another matter. Um, This is the news this week that, and I think people have probably seen this kind of thing coming now, this is the news that there is going to be a CGI version of James Dean uh, cast in a new movie, um, which is, in my opinion, absolutely bonkers. But before we get to what we think of this, um, basically there's two directors, uh, Anton Ernst and Tati Gol- Golike. Uh, I'll go with that. Yeah, I nailed, I nailed it, maybe. Um, they have obtained the rights to use James Dean's image from his family and will work with some VFX companies to recreate a realistic version of James Dean using full body CGI from actual footage and photos of the Rebel without a core star. Um, it, obviously, for those uh, who are, are unaware, uh, James Dean died at the age of 24 in 1955. So, um, yeah, and is certainly an iconic presence on screen in all the films that he's been in. So,. I mean what is going on here I mean we've talked about this before where and you've had the whole deep fake thing and we've had the the Peter Cushion recreation in um, Rogue One De Niro and Scorsese no De Niro and Al Pacino have been de-aged for The Irishman which is out in a few weeks time so this technology's been around for a while but really are we bringing James Dean back from the dead I, I don't I don't
0: understand this, Pete. Any any thoughts? Yeah, well, I can add to that. I've just got a list in front of me. Uh, Oliver Reed in Gladiator is another one. Uh, Audrey Hepburn for a Galaxy Chocolate commercial was brought back from the dead. Um, We've got uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 2. So there's like a load of examples in sort of more recent history where the technology has allowed for it, where this kind of trickery has been in play um, this one, though, seems to have got people quite um, hot and bothered, doesn't it? I, I think there was a big takedown in The Guardian about how how sort of um, bad of a move this was or, or how regrettable of a decision it might turn out to be. I mean, do you know much about the actual film in... in uh the film itself,
1: I think, is set around around about Vietnam. I think is set in Vietnam, but he died before Vietnam, so um, it seems bizarre to be honest. I'm not the film. I think is Finding Jack. I think is the, what the film's called, and I know very little about it than that. Um, right, basically they so they've said so the directors have said they've looked around high and low and couldn't find and couldn't find an actor for the role. Um, uh, yeah it's a, basically it's a vietnam it's a vietnam war movie um that's called finding jack is pretty much all we know about at this moment but yeah they said they could they've searched high and low and couldn't find another actor um and couldn't find an actor that suited the role better than a dead james dean um which is bizarre and i think you know you look at some of the takedowns on twitter uh to quote uh andy zeisler here from november the 6th or at andy zeisler is where we've taken this from we couldn't find a non-dead actor for the role of a white guy in a Vietnam movie is a truly amazing take. And I don't really disagree with that, to be honest. So that's kind of what little we know about the movie. I think the difference between this, Pete, and the the films you mentioned before is certainly in the case of Oliver Reed and Philip Seymour Hoffman, it was kind of completing their roles after they'd yeah. passed away um, so they, they could finish their work within the film itself. Um, so that that for me made sense and i think if you look at i don't i didn't like the use of the technology when they brought back um peter cushion in star wars rogue one i think i think it not only did it feel a bit creepy i just don't think it looked very good and they, they did the same thing with um carrie fisher in that in that in rogue one there as well but those were kind of bit parts and kind of i could forgive some of it um but this is a whole new whole new kettle of fish i think
0: yeah, um, just to add to what you're saying about the movie, I've I've found here that it's based on a 2008 novel from a, a novelist called Gareth Crocker. Um, that yeah, that, that has the same sort of storyline and is also called Finding Jack. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I think the first thing that I would jump to in in conclusion to a story like this is is the cynical position, but I probably quite well founded position that this is a publicity stunt, no? Like what you know, the only reason anybody's talking about the movie Finding Jack is because people are up in arms about the idea of the cgi recreation of this I, to
1: be honest i'm 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 kind of agree with you because i've never heard of these directors before ever mm. so this is the this is the first time i've read about these directors apparently they have worked on other films and i think i don't i'm not as far as well yeah i don't know whether they've directed before or not they have worked on other films but yeah and i mean already now that this film um whether it even if yeah before it even hit cinemas now people are talking about it and ultimately it's the kind of thing that people now will go and see probably just a tear down yeah um, so I can kind of see where you're coming from with that, that point to be honest I mean where do you sound ethically on it do you, do you have a problem with this do you it, think it should it be feels, done? Do it, it feels like done? not
0: long ago that we were talking about you know the idea of whitewashing in, in things like Ghost in the Shell and now we're going to have to talk about CGI washing in the case of taking away roles from you know underemployed actual living actors that exist and um, replacing them with CGI equivalents of actors who are no longer working with us, yeah, I, I don't know if I have a, like an ethical problem with it. It just seems to me kind of lame, and I think that it's going to stand out. Also, I think yeah, like the Peter Cushing thing is is one thing. When you've got like an actor appearing posthumously in a movie through this. You know, these technological means for you know a couple of scenes, uh, a very short amount of time, maybe you don't notice that much unless you're already very much in the know, which I guess Mm. everybody's going to be with this movie anyway. But if there's a lot of screen time, it's just going to stand out, and it's going to look cheap, and it's going to look bad, and it's going to be off-putting. So I think those kind of aesthetic concerns would trump any kind of um, ethical problem that I might have with with this kind of thing. What? Where do you stand on that? i mean yeah I, i'm kind of with you i guess i think more artistic merit than ethical
1: problem ultimately james dean's family has signed off on this I'm, i would assume for some money um okay so yeah i guess that you would still have to pay to pay in the same way you would pay james dean i guess you would still have to pay to use his his likeness so the family's getting the family's agreed on it and ultimately so he, ultimately he can't be asked so it's, so it's their decision really uh yeah I, I think i'm kind of with you i just think it's it's a cheap trick um it's a cheap trick to, to kind of bring him yeah, to bring more attention to what is, I would say, is otherwise likely to be a pretty average I'd be surprised if this film's any good now already at hmm. this point. It might be wrong. Almost. Um, kind of intrigued us. This...
0: I was just going to say, sorry, Paul. Yeah, I was go just going to say, like, almost more interesting to me is maybe not this new story in and of itself, but the way that it may in some way hint at this, um, you know, dystopian or brave new world future where... Actors don't actually have to appear in the movies in which they appear. As in, you know, the idea yeah. that an actor could sign off their image rights for a movie that they will then be in, but only in sort of CGI avatar form, um, without having to yeah, they don't have to play not. the that's, role that's effectively. Bizarre, yeah. They can be programmed yeah. for the role. Which is something that, you know, if you watch uh science dispatches shows and like documentaries and stuff these days, you see, you know, the creation of avatars for well, where it always starts, pornography and stuff like that. But it feels like this might be the kind of story that years down the line will look back on and think like, yeah, that's one of the markers of when this thing was starting. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm too nervous about that and don't need to be.
1: But the, yeah, I see where you're coming from. The, the other thing the other thing that doesn't really ring true for me with this is the fact that how can you really describe it as a James Dean mm. performance? Like they might use his digital likeness, but there's nothing of mm. him there. Like, so, and then ultimately, why not? there's going to be at some point there'll have to be an actor on set there'll have to be an actor on set one assumes Mm. um to to fulfill his physical presence and to deliver lines of dialogue so So then why not use that actor surely this surely then this performance comes down to the actor that's motion capping for him or there must be someone motion capturing for him because that's how my understanding is how this technology works so So it's so it's more a
0: story about deep fakes than it is about you know per se ethical james dean issues because you know i've been watching and i'll talk about later but uh, the bbc miniseries the capture which is all about the idea of deep faking the identities of people where you've got like videos or photos where the faces are replaced with the faces of people who weren't actually there and yeah it feels like yeah. again there are there are interesting discussions around this story I'm just not sure that the story itself is going to stand up to too much um, scrutiny, you know, in the next no. next couple of weeks. Maybe people will forget about it and move on. Yeah, if, if indeed this film happens right. at all. Right. <laughs> if there's enough controversy, Which, it yeah. might happen. But uh, yeah, whether it'll do anything, we'll, we'll, we'll see in the future, I suppose. Well,
1: yeah, I mean yeah so let people listeners at home obviously let us know your thoughts on this we'd be intrigued to see what what you make of it do you have a problem with it do you think it's a good idea will you go and see it um has it worked Has you know has has if it is a publicity
0: stunt has it worked for you i guess would be would be a mm. question we would want to hear from from you guys on so well a question i want to hear the answer to from you paul anderson is what on earth have you been watching over the last seven days and i will find <laughs> the answer to that question after a quick break when we come back with popcorn movies right after this
1: So popcorn Movies is the section of the show where we talk about films, any films of any age that we've watched over the last seven days. Um, I'll go first this week as you kindly queued me up before the break, Pete. So much appreciated. Um, first one I wanted to talk about was uh, a Netflix exclusive release, I believe, certainly this side of the pond anyway, uh, a horror film called Eli, uh, directed by Kieran Foy. Um, this stars um, Charlie... Charlie Shotwell, Kelly Riley, who you will probably know from Eden Lake, I think she's in Britannia at the moment and amongst other things, uh, and Max Martini, so probably Kelly Riley for me was the only kind of face I recognised in this. Um, this has uh, a pretty interesting premise, um, Charlie Shotwell plays a young boy called Eli who appears to be one of the unfortunate people that is allergic to pretty much anything and um, and is taken to a secluded um, facility where he can receive treatment for his immune his immune system disorder. Um, that involves basically being put into an airtight house. Um, and uh, Lily Taylor's in this as well as the doctor that treats him. Actually, I do apologise. Uh, he's kind of sealed in this airtight house, um, and they're trying this experimental kind of gene replacement DNA like bonding science science fiction type treatment um to to try and heal him but while he's in the house it's not the house may may or may not be haunted and everything is not as it seems Pete as you might be able to tell from the fact that this is a, a horror film so um yeah th- my thoughts on this I think it it started fairly well I think the the premise of the boy being ill is quite an interesting one um and I would have preferred it if the film kind of stayed focused on that really and, and didn't kind of... Rapidly descend into um, overwar, overblown, pretty cheap sort of horror film cliches, really, in terms of sort of the ghost story elements that we've seen this all before, um, and it wasn't done particularly well. Um, and then, as you may or may not be aware of this film, there is it does have a bomb, 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 a big twist ending. Um, the twist ending is different, I'll give it that much. I don't think it works, I, I think for there to be a twist ending i think then there needs to be some form of signposting to it and i don't think there's enough here to make this twist ending work for me and i'm not going to spoil what that end is because it is it's interesting to the direction in which they take it um but i don't think the the twist as interesting is is enough to rescue an otherwise pretty dull uh by the numbers horror film so i can't I'd like I'd, I wanted to enjoy this more it's one of those but I, I can't heartily recommend Eli
0: unfortunately mm, it goes into that group of uh, underwhelming or, or your below average Netflix yeah. sort of spooky yeah. horror movies yeah yeah absolutely. A, an increasingly large stable that one yeah. <laughs> um so, yeah, for me, I, I wish I could bounce back with something that I absolutely adored and ripped through a really positive review, but I cannot. Because for some reason that I'm still trying to come to terms with, Paul, I decided to check out the movie Absolutely Anything, starring right. <laughs> Simon Pegg. Do you remember this one? Uh, no, I do not, in all honesty. Uh, well... Yeah, probably for good reason. It released (laughs) in 2015. It's available at the moment on Prime Video, if you're curious. Uh, Yeah, it's one of those... You know when you've been there, Paul, many a time, I'm sure, when you're just surfing through the available movies and you see a name and you think that name is enough. And on this occasion, that name was Kate Beckinsale. And I thought, you know what? I haven't seen Kate Beckinsale's visage on screen for a little while. I'll watch this. What a mistake. Yeah, this is really (laughs) right down, down at the bottom of the list of projects that Simon Pegg attached himself to that actually do... Do more damage to his career, I think. Is, than, this is um, you know, is, or... is this like Run Fat Boy Run level of bad, or? I think this is worse, Paul. I think this is worse right. than Run Fat Boy Run. <laughs> um, do you remember that movie, Bruce Almighty? Yes. That. So it's okay. that. Um, except here, a uh, bumbling Englishman played by Simon Pegg, it was a stretch, uh, is struck with some sort of uh, bolt of blue light, I forget how and it doesn't matter, um, which allows him then to basically um, wave his hand and say uh, some sort of proclamation about what he wants and he will then get that thing. Um, it starts off, you know, that's promising enough. It's like the, there's that conceit at the beginning of, uh, the invention of lying with Ricky Gervais, another English, you know, comedy actor where he is able to, um, uh, He's not able to lie. I can't even remember what the can see is the beginning of that one. It's liar, liar, basically, again, isn't it? It's somebody else's idea, but but done differently. Yeah, and, and in this case, again, you think, well, this could be, you know, fun, entertaining, play for laughs. You see that um, Joanna Lumley is on board. Um, Eddie Izzard is on board here. Rob Riggle's on board. You've got, like, comedy actors who are worthwhile. Uh, but it just gets worse and worse and worse as it goes. And part of the problem is the, the way that he proclaims what he wants... Is in this sort of really weird counter grammatical way of saying like, um, make me be able, I don't know you'd have to watch the movie, it's <laughs> infuriating um, but by the, by the end, and also you keep then flashing to, I should say, this is directed by Terry Jones um, none other than one of the members of Monty that. Python okay. and you keep jumping yeah, you, you keep... I didn't say it. I should have. Uh, you keep jumping to a spaceship with some animated aliens played by the alumni of Monty Python, which should mm. be great, should be really entertaining, but just feels a bit embarrassing and below them and, and, and yeah, kind of slightly pathetic here. And, yeah, Kate Beckinsale's lovely, we know this, but Simon Pegg is just, yeah, blustering Englishman and, and, and nothing uh, more than that. Um, we've got Sanjeev Bhaskar in this role where... he he wants to be worshipped um, by another member of the faculty at the school in which they work and that just becomes awkward like really awkward and slightly creepy yeah this is this needs to be buried in the ground and forgotten about absolutely anything is absolutely abysmal um avoid Paul what have you got next uh, this is
1: a film, peak that does not need to be buried into the ground and should have been and deserves a much wider release than than, than it's got at the moment, but I did manage to find it and I'm very happy I did. Uh, this is the film Monos, which I think we talked about um, the week before last, I think, in Coming Attractions, uh, directed by Alejandro Landes, um, who I believe is Argentinian. I may be mistaken there. Uh, I hope he is, otherwise uh, I've got that wrong. Um, yeah, so this film it basically is a drama set, focused on a group of... child soldiers um who are watching over a an American hostage and a conscripted milk cow um in basically set in the deep jungle This film, Pete, is just staggering, like absolutely staggering. I think it's absolutely just off the bat. It's one of my favourite films I've seen this year, without a shadow of a doubt. It's it's stunningly shot. Um, The performances are absolutely incredible all round from a a cast that I I don't recognise at all. A very young cast, but very very capable cast. Um, The film is as brutal as it is beautiful in places. It's it's fantastically well shot. Um, there have been a number of comparisons and I don't always like doing this because a lot of people have said that this is epic filmmaking in the, in this to the scale of Apocalypse Now in, in some places I would say the scale is not quite up to the same scale as Apocalypse Now but I would say in this case it's not necessarily lazy review and the comparisons are fair there are, there are certain tropes, there are certain things this does have in common with Apocalypse Now and that's not necessarily a bad thing in this case because you'd think to compare something to Apocalypse Now would be would be fatal for this particular film it really isn't it's it's an incredibly well incredibly well made film incredibly powerful Um, and I I don't really want to give too much more away about it because there's so much good stuff in here that you kind of you just need to see for the first time um, and it's, yeah, it's just a, a beautifully made film um, incredibly well crafted and the ending Pete is up there with the year's very best ends um, just, it's it's kind of you know Pete, you have those moments where you watch films and then you go right if you cut to black here and that is the end of the film I, I am just like yes go on go on go on and then I'd say maybe one in what, maybe 50-50 sometimes the film cuts to black and you're like yes they've done it they've ended it in the right place and other times it doesn't monos does it at that point i was like if you end here that will be incredible and that that will make that film it will land it and it ends in exactly the right place and it absolutely lands it it's fantastic believe the hype alejandro landas is definitely going to be a director to watch in future find it
0: it's brilliant there we go there's a bit of positivity for you <laughs> nice yeah we, we like to hear it and have it on the show yeah, yeah i i look forward to catching up with this one at the first opportunity yeah because it looked fantastic from first trailers onwards really um, i hope that it's the kind of thing because
1: so mubi have just picked up the souvenir which is they've kind of done this straight out of mm. cinemas thing now um so hopefully this if mubi keep that pace up this this is the kind of thing that might appear on mubi sooner rather than later but we shall see we shall see but yeah cool. Um, I've
0: just realised I might tack on one more popcorn movie for today and keep it brief only because it ties into the next one that I'm going to talk about Uh, first of all though this one is The Reef from 2010 which I expect you've seen have you seen this one Paul shark movie no, do you know what? I, I haven't seen this one. I've seen posters have seen posters. This I, one, think I think. I but... I had, or at least I'd seen a part of it, because I'd logged it in Letterbox and, and I had sort of a vague memory of parts of the film. But anyway, the other night I was at my sister's, and um, the group of us decided that we wanted to watch a shark movie, and what was left that we hadn't seen between us. So we went for The Reef. It's this Australian shark movie from 2010, which is a ba- about a group of people who go out to uh, explore the coral reef, as you might expe- expect, and and get into difficulty when the boat that they went out on gets capsized mysteriously by something could it be could it be oh it might be a huge shark Um, at that point they (laughs) have to make decisions between them are they going to stay on the upturned boat or are they going to swim for hopeful safety although they can't see anything on the horizon they hope that they meet the island that they were previously on and they run into sort of dry land and safety uh it's directed by andrew trowke who i don't know a lot about other than that he's worked on abc's of death in the past um written and directed in fact by by that guy and then a cast of uh, again actors that I, I there's not there's no point listing them because i don't know what else they've been in but um yeah it's a difficult thing, isn't it, Paul, to produce a particularly a shark movie, but it's sort of a creature feature that keeps people interested and doesn't make people just think, oh, Jaws is better than this. Or even recently, things like The Shallows yeah. is better than this. Um, unfortunately, Jaws obviously is better than this. That goes without saying. And The Shallows is a huge amount better than this. Because one thing that I don't want to be able to say about a movie that is about people in peril to uh, the whims of sharks is that it's boring. And this film is very, very boring. So that's because quite, that's quite. How do
1: you make a film boring with sharks in? I, do, I see where you're coming from. Well, sure. that's it, Paul, because
0: if, if your budget is limited, that's completely understandable. But if you look at a movie like um, Open Water or Adrift, those directors managed to do a great deal with just tension and expectations and limited budget and carefully selected shots. But what the directors seem to do here is just want to pad out the time. So we have huge amounts of sort of repeated scenes. Scenes of the same kind of interactions between the characters in the water. Scenes of characters making the same kind of decision again and again. Scenes of putting the camera in the same kind of position. And so it's just kind of stultifying after a while. So, But the thing that the film has going for it is that they've shot real sharks as opposed to using like cheap CGI. But right, okay. all of the, all of the goodwill that I would have towards this has already been lost by the time a lot of the, these sharks show up because you don't care about any of the characters. You don't care about the filmmaking. You don't care about the momentum of the thing. And it yeah, it just sort of sinks with, without trace. And, um, and even when you get those sort of visceral moments, blood in the water and that kind of thing, you just think about better films even low hanging fruit you know shark films not done particularly well came to mind whilst i was watching this so yeah i didn't have i don't have a lot of positive things to say about the reef other than if you're an absolute shark film completist check it out um it's available at the moment i think on prime video um what is next for you paul uh, next for me is a uh, film from
1: 1955, Les Diaboliques, uh, which is a film I've been meaning to watch for many a year now, uh, which I think a number of people would have heard of, uh, sort of classic horror thriller, I'd say more thriller than horror actually, that's kind of what I was was expecting more of a horror than I got, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, because this, this kind of, this took me by surprise, so this is, as I said, a uh, 1955 film directed by Henri-Jean Clouseau um and it was as said it's been sat on my blu-ray shelf for about three years which is remiss of me but i'm trying to catch up slowly um, yeah, it didn't. It didn't disappoint. Its reputation precedes it, as I imagine a number of people listening. If you haven't seen it, would have heard of it. Um, it's great. Uh, it's a really, really well constructed thriller um, that leads you along with the characters around the house, uh, all around the houses, before blindsiding you with an end that you just won't see coming. Um, yeah, the, the performances are great. Uh, we've got Simone Signore and Vera Cluzo as the two. There's the two female leads. Um, essentially, they. Um, they uh, both one is the mistress of and one is married to um, just an absolute bastard basically um, who they decide to murder Uh, and then so basically so they decide to murder this guy who's one as I said the the situation is two women get together they want to murder this guy who's a complete arsehole they murder him and then it all doesn't go to plan and then people are double-crossing people and people are double-crossing people and people are double-crossing people and people are double-crossing people, people, are double-crossing people on top of that. So the plot's fantastic. It's an ap- it's great. It's tense from start to finish. I really, really enjoyed it. And if you haven't seen it, highly recommend it.
0: Nice. Uh, yes, as as promised, then another one that's tense. Actually, I just wanted to throw in at number number three for me this week, because in talking about how the reef makes me think of better shark movies, I've actually seen a better shark movie recently, and that is uh, Forty Seven Meters Down: colon, Uncaged. Um, What's the we- sequel? there is indeed I was delighted Uh, yeah we talked about this uh, what a couple of years ago I guess when the first movie came out might even be 18 months ago when the first movie came out and um, it was this fairly simple story of two girls who went shark diving in a cage and oh lo and behold everything went wrong and they were stuck at the bottom of the ocean and the oxygen was running out and it was kind of compelling and done pretty well even though some of it was a little bit creaky and some of it was a little bit cheap and some of the acting wasn't great it kept my interest which is what the reef didn't do and then 47 seven metres down what else do you want what they've got here is uh, not two girls but four girls and what are they going to do they're not just going to go this time a cage diving because they're uncaged this time they're going to go scuba diving into um, sort of Mayan have they just doubled the depth as well have they just doubled the depth in which they sank or no okay Let's be clear, 47 metres down has nothing to do right. with the second film. Like, like it is irrelevant. It is just that the first film uh, did quite well uh, on a sort of smaller scale. So they've kept the name and it's, yeah, it doesn't make any sense anymore because they're definitely not 47 metres down. They go about, I would say, 20 metres down, maybe, um, into some Mayan caves. Now, what you've got at the beginning of the movie is the father of one of the divers showing her that he has found a shark's tooth while excavating ancient Mayan caves that are underwater but this doesn't twig in the girl the idea that going into those caves might lead to the discovery of sharks which is better for the viewer because it means what we get is about an hour once things have really got going of yeah four uh, young women sort of uh, trying not to die whilst being surrounded by all kind of manner of statues and labyrinthine tunnels and that kind of thing and it's pretty effective uh, Johannes Roberts is the director of this one and I think was also the director of the first movie Um, the performances are fine maybe not much more than that but I would say maybe an edge out the performances in the first uh, movie and it's good fun man they they have good fun with things like um music underwater things like the lighting of bubbles things like uh, shadows from statues in caves like just some some neat use of the camera in this thing to keep it interesting for for the running time so if you like the first movie if you like shark movies or if you want something better than the reef i would recommend 47 meters down uncaged uh, to you oh and last of all it uh, also has in it a performance from Sistine Rose Stallone the daughter of one Sylvester Stallone so if I hadn't already convinced you go for go for that reason
1: where is it where, where did you see it is it on Netflix is it on Amazon uh, or i no, tempted a, to watch that after this very show it, Pete it, it's available <laughs>
0: for about £2.49 I think on the internet
1: Oh, I'm in. I'm all over it. Yeah, so you've it. not all got to break it. the bank. Let's, let's get this. In fact, let's wrap up the show now. Let's wrap up the show now, and I'm going to go and watch it. <laughs> nice. Uh, is that the end of our section? That here? is the end of Popcorn Movies. So we'll be back next with Coming Attractions.
0: So... We are back, and this is the section of the show that Paul has correctly dubbed Coming Attractions, and the reason for that is because we talk about the films that are coming out over the next few days, or depending on when you listen to the show, it might be today. Um, We have, first of all, the aeronauts this one had a bit of a weird release because it actually came out i think on monday at the beginning of this week and so you may have already seen it if you're uh, sort of eagle-eyed cinema goer the aeronauts tells the story of pilot amelia wren played by felicity jones and scientist james glacier played by paul's favorite actor eddie redmayne uh, who find (laughs) themselves in an epic fight for survival while attempting to make discoveries way above terra firma in a gas-powered balloon Paul, anticipation levels here. Can you get over the fact that Eddie Redmayne's in this and still have some enthusiasm or not? No. <laughs> but, but Felicity <laughs> Jones, you like her, right? You liked When a Monster Calls. Uh, I like Felicity Jones. For,
1: for, yeah, for Mo- the Monster Calls is good. She's a, she's a talented actress, to be fair. Uh, I suppose some of this looks kind of nice. Um, Eddie Redmayne, uh, if you listen to the long-term listeners of the show, know my thoughts on Eddie Redmayne. New listeners to the show, I hate him. Um... I just find him incredibly. Yeah. Anyway, I find him incredibly frustrating experience to watch on the screen. Um, we'll probably do a feature review on this week on this one next week, Pete, won't we? So uh, yeah, I'm going to have to see it regardless. Yeah, so. and, and maybe
0: one thing that might get you in. There's a film that I haven't seen and you have seen. Wild Rose was also directed by Tom Harper, the director of this one, and I think you liked that, didn't you? Yeah, I like Wild Rose enough actually. Yeah. This guy is uh, Peaky Blinders in, in Wild Rose. Yeah, moving swiftly on. uh, We have got one that could be uh, maybe edited out in pre-production and that's the next Roland Emmerich movie. It is Midway. Uh, Midway centres on the Battle of Midway, as you might expect. A clash between the American fleet and the Imperial Japanese Navy which marked a pivotal turning point in the Pacific Theatre specific theater during world war ii it says here i've taken it straight from the imdb the film based on the real life events of the heroic feat tell the story of the leaders and soldiers who use their instincts fortitude and bravery to overcome the odds we've got in this one it's one of those with everyone in it paul ed screen we've got patrick wilson luke evans woody harrelson mandy moore nick jonas dennis quaid and Aaron eckhart are you in any way interested in the war bombast of roland emmerich and midway uh, no <laughs>
1: again um I mean mm. look you've you've given me one film that's got uh Eddie Redmayne in it and then the next one is you've got Ed Screen as kind of like the leading man uh Ed Screen is not an actor that I uh, particularly rate at all I don't think he's great I think we've you've once described him as the poor man's Nicholas Holt I think yeah if I yeah rightly. I can see that um and it seems to me that there's a lot of the car a lot of the cast in this um all credit to them they're obviously they're the, they're undoubtedly a finer actor than myself, uh, but it seems to me that they if you—it's almost like they've gone for certain cast members and then settled for this cast. Although there is a lot of names in this, yeah, it just it, it feels like that. Yeah, do you know where I'm coming from? It feels very much like a, like a a B plus cast list rather than a list cast list. Yeah, it's the, makes the sense. backup, the backup um,
0: squad. Really, I I think you're probably right. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And that's not its not meant to—it's not meant to be mean in, in the slightest because you know I rate some of the actors here, but yeah Roland Emmerich doing a war I mean this to the trailer I mean, it looks just as bad it looks like it could possibly be just as bad as Michael Bay's It Pearl does Harbor. look quite so Bay-ish, I'm kind yeah. of in. yeah so I'm kind of in. I'm, t- I'm almost tempted to go and see it just to see how much of a car crash this film is because I don't think this will be very good at all
0: maybe then something to be a bit more hopeful about is Loose this is the new one from Julius Owner Julius Owner is the guy that you'll know from the Cloverfield Paradox as director of Cloverfield Paradox Um, he's an interesting filmmaker in so much as um, he was born in Nigeria then he was raised in a number of different countries including the UK and then his family settled in the United States Um, and then he academically excelled and has gone on to a sort of burgeoning film career and is picking up some plaudits as he goes This one, though, uh, tells the story of a married couple who are forced to reckon with the idealised image of their son. Um, It's an adopted son that they have who was born originally in Eritrea. He's now like the star student at school, star athlete, um, high hopes from all around him. In the movie, we have uh, the lead character himself, played by Kelvin Harrison Jr., and the parents of that character, played by Naomi Watts and Tim Roth, with a strong supporting role from Octavia, Spencer as a concerned teacher um, at the school in which suddenly um, the sort of idyllic nature of this guy's uh, ascent through the academic hierarchy is interrupted when there is a shocking discovery about potential The potentially sinister nature of his uh, motivations I guess we could say I've seen this one already and that's why I sound like um, maybe a little informed on it Uh, I think there's reason to be interested in this Paul but does any of that strike you as interesting
1: Uh, was it Cloverfall
0: Paradox yeah that's right yeah
1: yeah, see, I thought I didn't hate Cloverfield Paradox. I know a lot of people came knives out for that film, and I thought it was all right. I didn't; it wasn't incredible, but um, yeah, on that basis, I think yeah, I'm 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 intrigued by this. This is the first I've heard of this, to be honest. But I've noticed it is it is showing. Locally to me this weekend, so I will probably check this one out. Uh, and certainly, if you if if you've got the if you've got my anticipation level for the other two films out this week, then yes, this is definitely above <laughs> this most. goes to the top of the list <laughs> of the like, short list. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, that goes to the top of that list. Of I three, would say yeah. I would
0: say to listeners, we'll, we'll rev- review this one in due course. But like, this is the kind of movie that you need to see to at least form an opinion on it, because I think it is a bit of a conversation starter, perhaps. Uh, then we've got next one called The Good Liar from Bill Condon, who directed things like Dreamgirls, Chicago and Kinsey, uh, starring Helen Mirren, Ian McKellen and Russell Tovey. This one is about a career con artist um, who can hardly believe his luck when he meets well-to-do widow Betty McLeish online. As Betty opens up her home and life to him, Roy is surprised to find himself caring about her, turning what should be a cut-and-dry swindle into the most treacherous tightrope walk of his life. This is a crime film with older people in it, Paul. Are you interested? uh no <laughs> i d- i did very much enjoy I feel, I feel like uh recent appearances by ian mckellen doing press for this film because he's always good value whether i'm actually um compelled to go out and watch the movie is a completely different matter
1: i don't know i guess i'm, I'm not the target audience for this in fairness from from what it sounds like i have seen some of the publicity for it it's not the kind of thing that i would rush to see um with everything else that's on with with midway being out there uh who, who can find the time to squeeze <laughs> this one in no i, I think this, this is this is the kind of film that to me will will probably be fine there will be some value to take from the actors performances for sure um they're all they're all capable of holding certainly holding holding my attention on screen whether i rush to see it at the cinema or not i don't know is yeah the, is the sure yeah
0: i it. i i wasn't i'm I can't claim to have seen either dream girls or chicago which my wife would kill me for but i do quite like kinsey so it yeah, it might be one that I wait for. Kinsey yeah, good, one yeah. That, that I wait yeah. for to come around on streaming, but it depends what we decide to do on the show. Now to round off a less than um, spectacular week of previews, I've got one called Driven, which is out on limited release this week, um, directed by Nick Hamm, who is the director of the 2001 film The Hole, who seemingly has done not huge amounts since then. Um, but that's a film that I quite like. Um, you remember that one with Kira Knightley when she yeah, The hole was really decent, young. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, the whole the now whole I have a problem yeah. with this one Paul it stars Jason Sudeikis who increasingly is my Eddie Redmayne <laughs> uh, also in here uh, Lee Pace and Judy Greer that I tend to like a little bit uh, this is an intense thriller we're told where politics big business and narcotics collide telling the story of the design and sale of the DeLorean motor car I've watched the trailer and they keep making little nudge nudge wink wink jokes to back to the future and it really annoyed me <laughs> um, it seems very pleased with itself we've got Jason Sudeikis who is um really throwing himself into the role by wearing a mustache and we've got (laughs) lee pace who is throwing himself into the role by having white hair um yeah remember like the middlemen or something like that yeah that's the feeling i got okay i haven't seen
1: the trailer of this yet so uh i mean yeah the delorean story is is interesting i guess uh well it is not i guess it is interesting but yeah if they could get away with doing it without i can see i can see why if they're just constantly nodding wink into back to the future i can see why that would be annoying uh and from the sound of it, it sounds like they're going to do that other way that do that all the way through so um yeah yeah
0: you know when you see a trailer and you feel like your kind of spidey senses are in tune enough to know this movie's terrible yeah just from this trailer this movie is terrible and i will stake my reputation the film driven is not a good film okay. and i've only seen the trailer right, okay uh, we need to try and see this now then to prove the pre- whether you're right or wrong so yeah may- maybe we have to maybe we have to hate watch it or something <laughs> or just give it a chance in advance of uh, future episodes so yes uh, i think of that bunch it sounds like uh, loose is the one that you're most anticipating uh, right? for me
1: yeah yeah absolutely
0: I mean, inevitably,
1: I'll probably miss Loose and go and see Midway and the Aeronauts, but hey-ho. <laughs>
0: yeah, you'll go and see Midway and 4DX, now in Newport. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah, just to, just to wipe myself up. <laughs> yeah, well, with that image uh, in, in your mind, uh, we will leave this section, but it means that we can come back in just a moment for the meat of this show, which is our feature reviews of both The King and Sorry We Missed You, right after this.
1: So yeah, the first feature review we are going to do this week, uh, as Pete has alluded to, is uh, The King, which is directed by David Michaud, uh, co-written with Joel Egerton, um, starring, who have we got in this? Uh, There's a lot of people in this, Pete, isn't there? We've got Timothy Chalamet, um, Joel Egerton, um, help me out here because I haven't got the right
0: screen open, which is remiss of me. Sean Harris, Harris, Ben Mendelsohn um, in here uh and on and on yeah it's a it's a starry cast as we previewed on on last week's show
1: yeah so i mean set this one up for us pete so it's based around the life of henry the is isn't it i believe and but i think based on loosely based on shakespeare's selection of plays about the king's the king's named henry shall we say uh but pete take well, do yeah, a better job than that for me yeah <laughs>
0: It's based, um, as I understand, on a sort of amalgamation of uh, Shakespeare's Henry IV and Henry V, um, those plays. Uh, and yet, yeah, here we centre on Hal, um, later Henry V, played by Timothy Chalamet, who is this wayward prince and then heir to the English throne who rather reluctantly takes that throne having um, seen his father pass away and his brother early in the film who is the original choice uh, to take the throne uh, actually loses his life in battle and leaves no other option than for Hal or Henry to become king of England Um, at which point he has to take on the responsibilities that go with his position and in particular deal with a situation that arises from the gifts that he receives on his coronation one of which seems to be a jibe at his position from France in the shape of a a spherical shape the shape of a ball that seems to intimate that he is childish and incapable of fulfilling his role before we get into our thoughts on the king uh, Netflix uh, exclusive as it is here's a little clip to our present course, I've been forced to rely upon the counsel of men whose loyalty I question every waking moment. Every waking moment. I need men around me I can trust. I'm here because you are my friend.
1: <laughs> A king has no friends. A king has only followers and foe. So, uh, where where do we start on this? I think I kind of I, I want to talk about the acting. I think first because, as I mentioned before, this is an incredibly starry cast, and Timothy Chalamet is arguably one of the most talented sort of up and coming stars working today. Um, and I think we'll, we'll start with Timothy Chalamet's performance here, Pete. I think uh, for me, it was nothing short of superb from from start to finish. I. I had, I had no idea like someone that is relatively slight of build in terms of physical presence could take up so much sort of physical room with his with his presence the way he projects his voice this for me is a side of Timothy Chalamet I've not seen before in a film and I thought he he carried this well remarkably well Pete any thoughts on that
0: yeah, well, what what I think works terrifically well about the casting of Timothy Chalamet is a pretty obvious point. But it's the fact that obviously this guy is fluent in both English and French and the role demands mm. that the actor is fluent in both English and French. So not only is he very capable of speaking in two languages, but it's also the fact that his enunciation in both English and French is a- absolutely like exemplary in the movie. So he manages to create this character with Henry, who is very English, very well spoken, very clear in his words, quite thoughtful. But then when he transitions into speaking in French, he's got just a beautiful delivery, as you would expect, then as well. Like we saw, obviously, in things like um, Call Me By Your Name, Mm. where he gets to utilise both languages too, right? Um, So I was really impressed by that aspect of Chalamet's performance. In addition to that, because so much of the movie is sort of about quiet contemplation before things really blow up later on uh quiet contemplation and um sort of weight of expectation on the shoulders of this character he does a really good job of embodying somebody who is conflicted by the position in which he's been placed Mm. so yeah all of those things to say that that I agree with you I think it is a very strong performance but I suppose um it's it's not really fair of me to say that like so what to that but i had this thought that like yeah of course you know fantastically gifted actor timothy chalamet proves that he is fantastically gifted <laughs> that is uh definitely a compliment to him and it helps this film um but i think as we get into the discussion maybe we can find where we sit in terms of how that uh whether that's enough here, I suppose. So I wanna step back just for a yeah. second because the director, um, David Michaud, has previously um uh, been responsible for both um the Rover and what's the other one that I'm forgetting um, the name of Animal, Animal in Kingdom, India. right? Yeah. yeah, which
1: were two of his two yeah. of his better And I efforts, think
0: he, I think that I from conversation that we've had or maybe messages and stuff before coming in to record the show i get the impression that i'm going to go slightly different way from you on this film but the reason i want to step back to me is because i think coming in you might be a bigger fan of his than me is that fair to say do you think? i think
1: that's fair to say i mean the only the only one i'd say that i probably had wobbles with was war machine other than that i've pretty much liked everything is done i thought outlaw king was solid if not great uh, which is the last film we did for netflix um i really really like the rover and animal kingdom i thought was was superb so uh yeah i would say i'd have more of an affinity with his with his work than you do for sure um, I, th- I would say that's, that's certainly, certainly a fair comment um, and Joel Edgerton as well is an actor um, that I massively respect and the fact that he's on co-writing duties again had me quite excited here because he's also very established he's now a just very successful and well not commercially necessarily but a very talented director of his own right yeah. so that creative
0: yeah he's quite a force I think at this point isn't he Joel Edgerton and, and yeah. yeah the same I mean when I see him signed on to a project it definitely makes me take notice but he I think he is so Misha, good he like, is I, such a good actor though Joel Edgerton especially in this. He is, is He flawless. is really good in this. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I made the note here as well that he was another standout uh, alongside Chalamet. So yeah, I agree with you on that for sure. I, I think just on David Michaud, may, maybe mm. I'm being unfair and, and it's just my sort of subjective take, but there seems to be this sort of particular brand of like stoic masculine contemplation with then occasional bursts of violence, which are the, um, the that set out kind of the blueprint for most of the work of his that I've seen. And it's not that that is per se a criticism or that is even a bad thing I think that I just have to be um, open about the fact that that doesn't entirely work for me so when I was watching this movie I, I was trying to find the balance between my sort of prejudice against just what the movie was and then you know balance counterbalancing that with really trying to be a bit more objective about the elements and and, you know how sort of good or not good they were here so you know i lay that out on the table coming into this thing that there is something about this director that doesn't entirely charm with me uh, chime with me but that you know is, is just my thing i i suppose and you know i suppose to to take that on into the film itself i felt like in this movie there's an awful lot of um, staring into the middle distance, sort of swelling important music, um, and like hushed conversations on, next to the firelight or in firelight, and um, yeah, again, those aren't really necessarily bad things. I just, I just found no, them to be no. things that 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 are sort of um, earmarks of maybe a type of filmmaking that that I don't get that excited about. Um, back to the story itself, though. So here. We eventually get a a pretty much head-to-head when it comes to Henry V uh, played by Chalamet and then Rob Pattinson's character who is a Frenchman with a terrific uh, accented English. Um, who is eventually going to have to face off with Chalamet's character. And what do you think, having said good things about the Edgerton performance and Chalamet's performance, what did you think here of Robert Pattinson's albeit brief role in the film? Uh, I mean, I'm not, not a
1: professional French speaker, if such a thing exists or anywhere near fluent in French. Um, the accent didn't feel quite. Considering how well, uh, if you look at Joel Eddickson's performance, for example, how well Joel Eddickson had nailed his regional British his regional British accent, for example, and I mean incredibly well. Um, and I think how well all the other perform how very good all the other performances were. Rob Patterson felt a tie. I think his it was a tie, probably a touch too camp for my tastes compared to the compared to the mood of everything else in the film. Maybe that was deliberate, I don't know. Maybe he was out maybe he was told to ham it up a little bit, but for me it kind of felt his performance was probably one of my well, about the only few the few things i didn't like i didn't love about the film i didn't hate it but yeah for me it was a little bit overplayed i think i don't know where you stand Pete, on that yeah
0: i i understand that uh robert pattinson was handpicked by david michaud for his ability um so says michaud to get his teeth into a role and to like have fun with a role so what he was told is basically be as um unbearable of a prick as you possibly can with <laughs> I mean, the role it's, that it's been effective given. at that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and so i i I noted that like his his performance is really cloying and really irritating but that's kind of job done if that's what he's been asked to do so um yeah I I guess that's both a sort of positive and negative thing depending on how you look at it um yeah I mean so I I basically agree with you about those three characters and what you said about Timothy Chalamet I think is absolutely on the money there is part of me though that queries um the the I don't know I don't know the accuracy of the sort of historical depiction and stuff here but Timothy Chalamet fighting people do you, do you think that's going to end well for the boy like it, it feels like he's he's got the body of a 12 year old and the sort of acting ability of a 35 year old but like <laughs> when, when when it comes to time to get physical on the battlefield it did it did find, it feel like quite a stretch to believe that this this guy was able to hang Physically, did that did that come into your mind at all? Or, or no? To do you be think honest, the performance it, it was didn't strong because enough,
1: Chalamet's it? performance, I think, was, was strong enough to move past it. And I'd be interested to hear your your kind of your your problems with the film because I said obviously you've mentioned and fairly so that the director's work doesn't always resonate with you. And I think I'd be interested to hear your your issues with the film. From, from my perspective, um, I didn't I didn't have a problem with that. And I said the only thing that yeah I I really liked a. a, a pretty much all of this film in all honesty I found I found the whole film very very gripping I thought the script was very very well written and it was as we've alluded to uh, I I keep saying alluded to this week for some reason Um, yeah I I just thought that it was an absolute acting tour de force and like when the, the i've read i've read some criticism that found the first half a little bit dull i didn't i thought the acting was strong enough and the writing was strong enough to, to carry me through and then the battle scenes i think did were were some of the best i've seen in in a few years to be honest i think the fact that netflix shoots everything natively in 4k i think makes a big difference to these battle scenes they're crystal clear you can see what's going on i think they looked incredible um for the budget they had i think they they only had i think 200 people to do the battle scenes with and then they've they've i was watching a a behind the scenes video before the show and then they've with visual effects and some and the usual sort of film trickier, they've made it look like thousands of people at one point so i just thought yeah there's there's nothing in this film that i don't that we haven't seen before i will certainly to certainly take that on board absolutely um it is at times it does feel a little bit like yeah a kind of by the numbers historical epic but for me that's fine not every film needs to be original you can have a very strong genre piece and for me this was an incredibly strong genre piece like in uh, with some incredible set pieces i think the film looked great and just the acting for me was incredible i was gripped for the entire 2 hours 20 minutes i was absolutely gripped to this i i genuinely loved this i had a, i had an incredible time with it
0: yeah i suppose it's just me falling on the other side of that which is that when you said like it doesn't necessarily do anything original, yeah, I would agree. Like it doesn't really have a lot to say about anything, no. and I think that David Michaud is a director who is trying quite hard to make his films seem um, relevant to current events, um, but that isn't done in anything like to me anyway in any particularly interesting way. And he's sort of obsessed here with the the sort of weight of. Um, the way in which this character is unable to avoid conflict no matter how much he might be uninterested in conflict which mm. you know could be could be read in a sort of um contemporary frame I, I guess but yeah I, I suppose when you say like it doesn't really do anything new uh, or that we haven't seen before but it's a strong genre piece I kind of fall the other way and think well if it doesn't really do anything we haven't seen before and it's just a you know <laughs> you know a, a historical epic that is worth its salt because it's got some strong performances in it it's like i to what end like to what end do those strong performances do anything for me because if they're not intriguing me in terms of any kind of subtextual stuff or if they're not really um challenging me on an intellectual level or if they're not really advancing my knowledge of like the source text or uh, anything like that or not bothering with a lot of the elements of sort of shakespearean language or a different direction that this thing could have gone then i suppose what i want is then a more um yeah, like, we've seen the same film. We just feel differently about it. Like, I I watched, the, I watched those battle sequences... Like, the battle sequence towards the end, which I watch thinking, this is perfectly good, but my pulse hasn't quickened, or I'm not taken with it. Whereas mm. I think you've seen it as... Yeah, you've just got more wrapped up in it. And that's... Yeah, it's not for one being right or wrong. It's just the fact that yeah. different people react to things in different ways. And maybe you know maybe i am predisposed to being a bit uh, lukewarm on david michaud's stuff and so the strong performances weren't enough to overcome the sense that i've kind of seen this before and historical epics just kind of aren't my wheelhouse anyway which again i've just got to be be honest about no i think i remember you saying i remember
1: yeah i think i remember you saying last week yeah yeah no, it's just yeah. I, I I I see exactly where you're coming from, and I can see the argument. If you're not going to do anything new, then almost why why bother doing it? I guess. But then I yeah, I don't have personally have a problem with 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 generic with generic films doing you know doing a certain job. Like ultimately, for, for, there are some points there for me that trope you know tropes exist for a reason, and there's not every film has to be original, and there's no harm in putting there's no harm for me in putting out. solid really well really for me a a very exciting very very enjoyable genre piece and for me that's what this film was i just i just feel for you that it
0: wasn't for you pete (laughs) yeah yeah and and the adjectives that we'd use to describe it are basically the same except for maybe on your side um exciting which i don't maybe co-sign on and then from my side maybe a little bit dull at times or um, uh, yeah uh, unengaging which certainly is not the way you I feel, said you're so- not alone
1: you're like you I have I have read that criticism I have read that criticism elsewhere so you're certainly not you're certainly not sort of standing standing away from everyone else yeah um, I, I, I wanted to say it, one so- thing
0: I want to say one thing at the end because you mentioned about um, its native 4k on Netflix which is fantastic and I know that you're in a better position from that regard anyway in terms of having just a way better rig in your house but um, I was going to say to you when I was watching this do you not feel when this is like a big sweeping historic epic that it is one of those where it is quite a shame that it's not being released cinematically.
1: I'd love to have seen it at the cinema. I'll be honest, but again, you know, this this is this is where we are with Netflix. If you know, we've talked about this a lot on this show. Uh, yeah, I'd have loved to have been given the opportunity to see this in the cinema. I think I would have enjoyed it even more than I enjoyed it at
0: home. In all yeah. um, well, honesty, I just yeah, I, I thought it's of a, that. it's filmmaking. It's filmmaking of a scale that deserves the cinema for sure that that's the thing yeah man like i think there's certain types of films where i really get that sense like ah oh, this feels like it should be on a cinema sized mm. screen or at least that's a you know it would be a great option to have whereas there are other smaller things like we've talked about a lot of the kind of spooky or sci-fi things that netflix put, put out where to be honest with you if you've got a half decent sized television at home it doesn't really matter yeah. maybe arguably that it's not in the cinema but yeah that one was the king it's on well i was gonna say wide release but it's on wide netflix only release so if you have that platform check it out form your own opinion and see whether you agree with one of us or neither of us maybe you have a completely different take entirely we though have a completely different film entirely to review and that is going to come up right after the break it is called sorry we missed you from director ken loach and we will talk about it right after this
1: so yeah welcome back this is our second feature review of the show and this as pete had said is the uh, latest film from the fairly prolific and well-known uh, filmmaker ken loach um this is sorry we missed you uh
0: pete set this one up for us Yeah, so this is Ken Loach working with long-time collaborator Paul Laverty, who also wrote the screenplay to a number of Ken Loach's productions, not least I, Daniel Blake, which did so well um, in terms of box office relative to Ken Loach movies of late, I suppose, Uh, just a couple of years ago. It stars Chris Hitchin and uh, Debbie Honeywood. They're a couple who are trying to make ends meet still trying to make ends meet post the 2008 financial crash Uh, it's an uphill struggle and then suddenly Ricky the character played by Chris Hitchin is offered a sort of olive branch um, that olive branch offered by the current system which is that he instead of being an employee can be a sort of franchisee entrepreneurial figure who is self-employed as a delivery driver uh, much like a sort of DPD or an Amazon or something like that and he is uh, able to make as much money in theory as he would like to if he is able to keep within a very very strict time schedule of delivery on the route that he is ascribed uh, by the big boss the big boss in this case played by a ball old-headed battle-axe of a man who um, cares about nothing but numbers and um, improved profitability for the company. We'll get into our thoughts on this film after we've heard a little clip. Everything okay, Ricky? Yeah, it's great. Any good. problems? No, nothing. Uh, it's fine. Have you got two minutes? to just need a quick word, mate. Uh, I'm in a bit of a rush, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, we all? If you can just wait over there for a minute, I'll just sit these two lads and I'll be with you, all right? Wow. All right. Cheers, yeah, thanks. You
1: all right? oh, so much. Any problems? No, no. Problems with
0: this number five battery. Couldn't do my last scan. You got your paper record? No. Trying. It's
1: all right, Ricky. It's nothing to worry about. Hitting your figures and getting good feedback. Everything's going all right. Yeah. Just, did you have somebody in the van with you on Saturday? Gone?
0: Oh yeah, it's, uh, it's my daughter, Eliza Jane. Right. Oh,
1: sorry, mate. We can't have that.
0: Well, it's it's my van. It's my insurance. It's my daughter. I thought it was my business.
1: Yeah, it is, but it's our franchise, all right? Just had a complaint from one of the clients. Nobody fucks with them ever, mate, all right? So it's one of the first commandments, all right? Cheers. So yeah, that clip um should should set the scene um but the fact that this is directed by Ken Loach should also set the scene um for what people to ex- what people should expect from a Ken Loach film. Um very very socially aware, um certainly doing his best to um cast an, a much needed eye over some pretty urgent issues uh, in society. This one as as Pete mentioned when he set up uh, basically takes a squarely aim at zero hours contracts. Um, and much like uh, a lot of Ken Loach stuff, um, doesn't always do it in the most subtle of ways, I think Pete would be would be fair to say.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I was going to mention in the intro there that um, I've learned that the story here is uh, or takes partial inspiration from the experience of a guy called Don Lane who was a courier for DPD and he died in January 2018 after working through illness in the Christmas delivery rush because uh, ultimately he had skipped several hospital appointments to treat his type 1 diabetes. Because he had previously been charged £150 by DPD when he missed deliveries to attend an appointment and feared further charges. So that story is very much the jumping off point for what we've got here. Because this Ricky character knows that everything is is roses until he starts getting a beeping um, scanner Delivery Scanner unit, which is telling him that he's falling behind schedule. He's also told in no uncertain terms that everything leads to a fine. So if you miss your deliveries, you could be fined. If you break anything, your device in particular, you will be fined. Um, If you're unable to attend work and you can't yourself off your own steam find a replacement driver for that day, you will be fined. So everything is a pitfall for him uh, unless he manages to, you know, do this... uh, this task flawlessly effectively and at the same time you've got his wife who's working as a carer so Loach and Laverty are able to comment on the the creaking care system in the United Kingdom and the way in which she suffers uh, a sort of series of small indignities on a daily basis along with the indignities suffered by the elderly people who are in her care she does home visits and um for example early in the film she applies a sort of um alba soil underneath her nose and it's this real like grace note in terms of the direction where uh you know exactly why she's doing it uh, a shame maybe that it has to be then be referred to later and spelled out for you but yeah she mm. is just trying like her husband to do something worthwhile support her family and get by and hoping for a brighter future and at the same time they've got a teenage son who's going a bit wayward and there's a daughter as well i think isn't there? there's four of them in the family uh the son is getting into graffiti wants yeah. to express himself but can't um that character i think a little bit underexplored maybe but the main focus here is on this Couple, So like you said, Paul, going in, these are very real issues. I mean, they yeah. didn't pull this out of thin air. This is almost a documentary about the life of a delivery driver on a zero hours contract in the UK. Um, So from that point of view, it felt like I I would imagine we both reacted in this way. When you see the first trailers, you think this is going to punch a very specific part of my gut because of the familiarity, I should say, that we have in the UK with the way in which these systems of employment are crippling people. And so even more so than I, Daniel Blake, I went in thinking this is going to cut really deep. And having said all that I came out feeling very little and that is a huge huge problem Um, and so I'd like to get into that more but I want to get your take I think first of all about obviously you knew the issues coming in obviously you know the directors work coming in where like in terms of the journey with these characters did you feel like you were swept along? Did you feel like this thing resonated on an emotional level or did you feel like it, it foundered in some way?
1: I th- for me it, it founded in places and I'll be honest to you, I think it, I think it's a very very well directed film and I think Ken Loach is, is a very capable director, I think it's, it's a very well acted film I think um, all the cast here are very very good, Ken Loach gets performances out of, sort of very unknown cast members and sometimes people who haven't acted before and that, that, that works and that works really really well i just have similar problems i had with this with with parts of i daniel blake which is paul laverty's writing for me just lacks any nuance there's, there's no subtle this there's no subtlety to this film at all so when they're setting the scenes at the beginning it's just like it's almost like one of the characters just stares into camera and is just looking square in your face and is going i've had to work too many hours this week and this has happened and then it's like right cut back to the narrative again and then the the dialogue is so on the nose and i understand they're setting the scene i understand that maybe there's i'll come on to this there isn't people watching this. There isn't people watching these films that are, aren't aware of these issues, I don't think. Because at this point, the people who should be watching this film are not going to watch a Ken Loach film. You're not going to sit like... I've, I see people coming out of the cinema going, oh, the, the Tory cabinet should watch this. And yeah, arguably, yes, they should. They'll never watch it. Um, but the, the problem, the problem for me is like the, the the description of the issues is too on the nose. It was almost like it's almost like they take a they take a break from the narrative on the film. They take a break from the drama. It's almost like the film stops. They they almost may as well as I said have the cameras ju- the, the actors just stop what they're doing and go. Yes, this is the description of what's bad about zero air contracts. Now back to the drama. That's yeah. where I have a problem with Paul Laverty's writing. I had the same problem with some of I Daniel Blake, and I and I still think that. And again, I'm not def- I'm not trying to defend zero hours contracts, and I'm not saying that what the issues in this film don't exist. But for me, especially with with the with the like the delivery the the deliver the boss of the delivery driving company, I'm not saying that these companies don't treat people like shit. But it's bits of it felt because of Paul Laverty's very on the nose and very heavy handed writing. Bits of this felt a bit like pantomime to me in places, rather than sort of heartfelt drama. The second half I think improved, but the first half for me just felt overdone, to be honest. Pete, any yeah. thoughts? I feel like I'm going to no, get savaged on social media for this now, but I, no, I stand I by d- it. I don't think <laughs> so.
0: I don't think so, and I think you know you should stand by it. I mean, I I'm the target market. I mean, I ha- you give me five minutes of your time, up to five hours of your time, and I will rant about these issues if given the chance in the right company. Yeah. <laughs> However, what? Yeah, I completely agree, man, because early on or and throughout the film here and there and very much uh, it's it's a rarity we get these moments of just like ordinary people interacting in a way that you might associate with this director right so you get for mm. example um, the Ricky character on the doorstep of a guy he's working at the time in Newcastle but uh, Ricky is from Manchester so he has this heated discussion with the guy that he's delivering to about Man United against Newcastle the history of the football clubs facing each other it's normal people having normal conversations Right. The bit where uh, Ricky gets to have a sandwich with his daughter, even though they're going against the uh, parcel delivery system and they need to get back in the van. But every time you get a moment of normality like that, the, the family sits down and has a curry and there's a moment where they actually laugh for a second imagine it a bit of levity in a film like this that's how the real world is the real world is not just indignity 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 suffering doom death it's not and so when it's painted that way by this writer and with the support of this director instead of it being the punches are hitting me harder it's like the punches are easier to predict So I'm just moving out the way of them. The story's telling itself before the events occur. I I wrote down this thing, which I think is very relevant here, right? Which, do you know this uh, Chekhov quote about the way in which if you see a gun in the first Mm. act, then by the second act, it better have gone off. Well, (laughs) the only thing that came to mind in relation to that in this movie is, in the case of Laverty and Ken Loach, if you see a bottle for pissing in in the first act, you better believe that our protagonist will have piss poured all over him by the end of the third act. Absolutely guaranteed. And that's dispiriting because this story needs to be told. This story needs to be given dramatic heft and breathing space and it needs to start conversations but like you said you're not gonna get the you know the the Tory cabinet watching the movie I had somebody sat to my right actually a, a pair of uh, slightly older women sat to my right as I was in the theatre and one of them did that thing on sort of, of sort of commenting throughout the film so a scene would happen you can imagine this the scene would happen and then she would say oh it's no life at all is it and then we'd have the next sequence and then she'd say, those bloody Tories, you know, they should be sent to the dock for this. And I just thought, like, this is all it's going to do. It's just going to get people who already have staunch opinions about these issues to talk to other people who have the same issues in an echo chamber that is going to go nowhere. Because the, the screenplay here is so unwilling to just have light and shade. Just light yeah.
1: and shade, just real I life. I, no, 100%, I, I don't disagree with you at all. As I said, I just, as I said, I don't, the, it's, and again, the, I think you probably agree with me, it's well enough directed. it's just the writing. And it's the writing, there is, there is, yeah, it's just too heavy handed for me. I'm, I'm totally with you. There's no, yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing, people come out and go, oh yeah, no, it is bad, isn't it? Like, it's just like, well, yeah, everyone knows that. The audience already knows that. Like, you know, the choir's been preached to, to an extent, <laughs>
0: like, yeah. Yeah, and even just taking the foot off the gas, like the misery gas, a little bit would have gone a long way here. You know, there's a moment in I, Daniel Blake where uh, the young mother in that movie is at a food bank and instead of the film turning to the camera and saying look at the indignity of this food bank it is not fair although it probably does do that at some point if I'm honest uh, that character tries to eat a bit of the food from mm. the food bank without anybody noticing and the camera turns to her and she has a reaction to the camera and it cut me in half because yeah, it's, it's just a yeah. it's just a human moment it's not like you're saying it's not someone preaching to you and once they've preached to you jumping forward a few minutes and then referring back to the that they preach to you about just to make sure that you understood the point they were making like it doesn't treat the audience with any respect this screenplay and that's a shame because it needs to because the people in the film are, all they really want is dignity and respect so treat your audience with dignity and respect and then maybe the, you know the same will come back to you and yeah, it, it happened that um, I was, I was uh, sort of venting on this movie and Ken Loach a little bit the other day and then there was an episode of Question Time and I, I heard a guy just parroting basically lines from this movie and I said, oh, he sounds so much like Ken Loach and then I looked up and it was Ken Loach. Um, <laughs> yeah, it... Right. it man it's a shame because i really felt like this was one where i might have loads of you know positive stuff to talk about we might really be able to get into the issues but i almost feel like in this review we're not going to get too much into the issues of zero hour contracts and the working situation in the uk because the film doesn't engage with them in a way that's compelling enough i don't think. yeah i, I would not agree with that
1: as i said i, I think it's a shame and i said that there's there's enough to like here i think the performances as i was mentioned earlier are great but yeah, I just, I just, there's no, there's not enough subtlety to this, this screenplay at all for, for my liking. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm basically, well, I'm totally with you, Pete. To be honest, I expected to like this one. I, I didn't dislike it as a film. I did. There's something I took away from it, and I think it. By the time the end rolls around, I think when it when the when the um when the drama is allowed to flow and the the story the narrative is allowed to flow without the really seeming almost as i said winks the camera and almost interruptions, I think the film flows pretty well at at times but it just feels reg- all too regularly interrupted for me. Yeah, th-
0: those moments are there. Like the uh, Debbie Honeywood, the, the, Ricky's wife, um, I forget her name in the film, um, the monologue that she gets in the hospital towards the end mm. He's played really well. Yeah. Um, there are, Yeah, there are moments, like I mentioned, with uh, eating a sandwich with his daughter. There are moments that stand out as being... Uh, there's a moment with uh, Debbie Honeywood brushing the hair of an elderly woman, like just allowing us to see rather than telling show us don't tell us is basic yeah. screenwriting and yeah, and absolutely. so often that is ignored in favor of yeah just hitting you over the head again and again and again and it just becomes deadening and then and then what we walk out of the cinema thinking you know i slightly resent these filmmakers rather than the goal which is i hugely resent the people who are you know crushing the spirit of the British workforce, so yeah, a shame I think, and a missed opportunity perhaps, and maybe maybe it will make some waves, but I feel like from even you know what are we now? It, it, this movie's been out a week perhaps, and some previews. I, th- I think the conversation's already dying down a little bit around around this film, unfortunately. Yeah, I,
1: I'm I'm with you. It's uh, like generally, I mean, I have I've had a conversation about it, and um. Yeah, and that's I feel like, yeah, I feel like we're, it's a shame. I feel like that we've, I mean, there are, there's, yeah, there's some, there's, there's some great reviews around for it, don't get me wrong, but I feel like this is not the conversation I, I expected or wanted to have about this film with you, if
0: that makes sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> like... I, I'll tell you something, though, man. I'll tell you something. At the, I, I think you'll know what I'm talking about with me without me being spoilery, but like, towards the end of the film, Ricky gets up and he takes a card. It's a sorry we missed you card, and he starts writing on it. And all I thought was, don't you dare do that next. (laughs) And he didn't do that next. So that's something. But yeah, uh, other than that, and just to to rub salt in the wound, at the end of my uh, preview screening that I went to, there was going to be the live streamed uh, Q&A with Ken Loach on stage in London, which then failed. So I couldn't watch it. So I just went home a bit grumpy and uh, tired. It was quite late. But yeah, uh, sorry we missed you. Maybe... um, didn't work for us quite as well as we were hoping. I think it's fair to say. I'd say that. I'd say that. That's a fair comment. I said, "There's, you know, not not a bad
1: film by by any stretch, but I, I've come to expect better from Ken Loach, to be honest." And I think, yeah, I think maybe he should work with a different writer going forward, or Paul Averty needs to dial down, dial down is the 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 on the nose nature of some of his writing for my taste, at least. So yeah, not a a rousing success in the way I hoped it would be.
0: So, at the end of the show, Paul, we usually finish with a section called Credits, where we give credit to stuff that we think is right good. It can be films, it can be anything else, really. What have you got to give credit to this week? This week,
1: I've got to give credit to a video game that I've been playing, uh, Luigi's Mansion 3 on Nintendo Switch. Um, Nintendo Magic bottled in a backpack uh, that hoovers up ghosts. Uh, much like much like all of pretty much all of Nintendo's first party output this is just a joy to play and basically I kind of I've almost given up on more po-face Death Stranding's out this week I'm playing Luigi's Mansion 3 instead because it looks like a lot more fun so yeah Luigi's Mansion 3 on Nintendo Switch
0: uh, it's a gem and I love it Pete what about you Um, I have got I mentioned it very briefly earlier in the show BBC miniseries that aired for the first time in September this year called The Capture Um, it's available on iPlayer right now so you can check it out if you're interested the reason I wanted to give credit to this is because it is basically the first sort of a weighty dramatic thing that I've seen that deals with this thing about deep fakes and faking um, video footage or photographs with the faces of people who weren't actually in the situation or maybe didn't do the things that it looks like that they are doing in that video or in that photo Um, this one is uh, centered on a soldier who's accused of Shooting an innocent man or an unarmed man in Afghanistan and faces trial for that um, apparent crime, and is then cleared only to find himself in hot water again when he's implicated in the assault and abduction of his defence lawyer. This um, got some fun supporting roles. We've got Ron Perlman as a um, a sort of shady, peripheral government intelligence yeah. heavy. <laughs> That's Ron <laughs> Perlman, basically, yeah. Uh, we've got Famke Janssen, who effectively waits until the end of the series to step off a plane in a very stylish manner um, and wield a bit of power. And at the centre of it all, Holiday Granger, who's an actress that I've definitely seen before, but I'm not sure where, um, who's this um, very ambitious senior senior investigating officer on the case. Um, and she's really engaging. She's really good in this. And um, yeah, I, I just thought it was one of those where it was a sort of like superior BBC drama drama um that is worth sharing with people and having people check out because the ideas at the center of it i think haven't really been explored that much at least in like mainstream entertainment Um, until recently so yeah that one's called The Capture it's available on BBC iPlayer now and for the foreseeable future I imagine and that brings us to the end of the show I think (laughs) sorry (laughs) I think it does I thought the video had frozen or something because uh, you'd stopped talking but uh, yeah I think that does bring us to the end of the show so please get in contact with our show at Strangers Cinema is where you'll find us on the Twitter platform we've also got an email address that you could send your questions to that is strangersinacinema at gmail.com in addition there's an Instagram there's a facebook look up the name of our podcast there Uh, and then just like the show share the show download the show subscribe to the show all of those things are helpful review the show even if you're feeling wild Um, and that would be really really great and really appreciated by both of us i think paul last words from Uh, you for this one
1: more from me apart from yeah thank thank you for listening as ever and uh, welcome to any new listeners thank you again goodbye from me bye-bye
0: shut up and sit down